Thanks for listening to Lost and Rewound. You can check us out online at lostandrewound.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Time to get embarrassed with us. I had a tape recorder when I was a tween, and in retrospect, those recordings were obscene. Travel back in time with the familiar sound. Let's all get lost and rewound. Episode 16, New Year's Eve, 1995. Hello. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We're happy to be back for Season 2 of Lost and Rewound, the podcast where we get archaeological with your audio. My name is Alon. I'm Melissa. I'm Doug. So, you know, it's been a while since we've been in this setup. We have Ryan uh, holding it down, Ryan Reich as their engineer for this go-around, hopefully for more go-arounds. And it's really nice to be doing this again. Uh, I think it's safe to say we've had quite an eventful last uh, six months. I was going to say, yeah, we, we uh, took a summer break for a couple weddings, and then that turned into a six-month hiatus, but we yeah, are... Yeah, so this is your our catch-up. How did you spend your summer vacation episode? Yeah, except for how did you spend your summer vacation and Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas? Indeed. Um, I'll start. Uh, I got married in, in July, and then I was away in the month of August, and then I guess gear issues sort of played out, and I was also just busy with some acting classes, so I've just been sort of kind of all over the place, more, I think dealing with the fact that uh, I wanted to really get this show back in a way that was cohesive, really cohesive and uh, successfully um, departing from ways of old. So what you're saying is we're out of the pre-production dungeon and we're ready to do this thing again. You know, we did 15 episodes of our season, first season, of which you could catch up with on SoundCloud and iTunes. The fact is this is that there's plenty of our pilot season to be heard. Season and... one, like anything else, like anyone else doing their first season, we learned a lot. Yeah. We learned many things about the show and the audio and technology and how we want to do it and when we want to do it. And... We received... Some constructive criticism, some non... Mostly no criticism at all, because we <laughs> because our, my email bo- that email box, I should say, is pretty empty. A lot of the constructive criticism came more in person, and that's really fine by me. I mean, we had plenty of people listening, but just nobody really needing to email us, because everybody knows who we are and enough either, to tell yeah, us. Either way, though, we've appreciated the feedback, and it's been helpful, and will be beneficial as we take on Season 2. What have you been up to for the last six months, Melissa? I love the I love your inflection as you ask that because I know what you're getting at. Um, I guess the big thing for me over Christmas is I did I got engaged, so I am one of these days getting around to getting hitched. Other people are more excited than I am. Ooh, not that I'm not happy to be getting married, but the um, why didn't you call me or tell me? And this is so aw- tell me the story, all the details. Was it so amazing? It's like I. I got a ring now, which is cool, and I like shiny stuff. Um, well, you also moved, and you had a little well, yeah, bit of we, work. Uh, yeah, I, that, well, yeah, we we moved. My day job got crazy for a while. It's less crazy at the moment, but fingers crossed on how long that'll last. Right. Um, the world offline continued to turn. It always will. Yeah. Doug? Doug. Thank goodness. Well, I got married before you, Alon, 
and way before you, Melissa. Uh, I got married in May uh, to my wife, Kate. We took our honeymoon in New Orleans. We did not run into Alon's sister, Sarah, there. Nope. Um, not that we tried to, uh, but I had a lot of fun talking to her about New Orleans after the fact at your wedding in mm-hmm. July. Right. It's going to tell a story of when she iced me during karaoke. But I think that requires uh, explaining that you had like a karaoke uh, uh, thing. So, yeah, I mean, basically, it's no surprise to anybody that knows me in person that karaoke has played a fairly significant role in my time here in New York City, which is almost now 10 years, frighteningly enough. I had karaoke as our rehearsal dinner, and... We had a great space. If you guys are ever in Brooklyn and find yourself over, like, in Gowanus, King Killer Studios, like, two blocks away from the Bell House where my wedding was, but it's awesome. Like, such a cool space. And so we had karaoke. We rented the space out, and I had my pal Nithia come in with her uh, gear, and we had a karaoke party. Um, my dad sang karaoke for the first time. Pretty awesome. <laughs> I think that is awesome. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, I know. He sang he sang a song that I don't even know what the hell it was, but it was very fitting. The worst that could happen is the worst that could happen to me. It was like something you'd hear on the AM radio. Um, awesome. At any rate, and, yeah, in but those, your story in though. those ten years of you loving karaoke, and I do not love karaoke, and had never done it before, and that was yeah. also my first time doing karaoke. But I figured, what the hell, I'm around people that I either A, don't know and won't see very many more times, or know very well and aren't going to judge me about it. And I was pretty drunk. And I said, I forget exactly what I said, but I said something to Sarah, your sister, like, should I do it? Uh, And she was like, yeah, come on, you have to, everyone's doing it. And I was like, all right, I guess. So I made some kind of ultimatum to myself i was like all right if they have adam and prince charming in the book i'm gonna do it so here's the thing i was expecting that they would not have it and i would get off uh you know by just oh they didn't have what i wanted so i didn't do it but then of course they did have it plus a bunch of other adam and songs so i was like shit well now i can't just lie to myself about it yeah that's the thing about kings of karaoke that particular promotion their book they have whatever song you can dream up they have the track like they've got fugazi in their book like yeah so if you're like me and you're trying to find an excuse to get out of it yeah. you're screwed yeah. the kings of karaoke.com easy plug <laughs> so but are, never, they gonna, but are, they, would are they gonna sponsor this episode now no no oh, oh no maybe maybe, maybe. Oh, no <laughs> i didn't think about that <laughs> go on doug so i got up and did it felt embarrassed the whole time but enjoyed it and then afterwards i talking to sarah again later she completely iced me and i said like did you see i did it and she was like yes great (laughs) and just like flipped her head back wasn't paying attention as cool as could be in response to me doing this See, when you, when you said she iced you, I thought for a second that she actually, like, iced oh, you, iced you with, like, a Smirnoff ice. Different expression, but yeah, that would be pretty funny, too. Iced for what your experience is, basically, uh, from the colloquial... Cold, cold as ice. Cold as... <laughs> totally uh, left you in the dust. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, she's done that a few times to me, in other respects. <laughs> look what I did! That's great. Look, look, this happened. Yeah, good job. Congratulations. In addition to getting married, you actually got around Alon to going and seeing Master Cactus Becca that was... Becca Kaufman. Becca Kaufman. I can't remember the episode number. Episode 9. Talk to me. Which uh, we had her on in the studio. I think it was actually our first live in-person interview. She came on and talked about 
Master Cactus's audio cassette magazine. And they had their second issue came out. Correct, yeah. Was it right? It was right around the new year, right? It was back in November. I got to, to go to the Master Cactus audio cassette magazine second issue. And the one thing I think that was different from the one prior was that unlike the first one where it was a listening party, straight up, people sitting in a room in Bushwick listening, listening, to, to, listening to a tape. Single tapes. A single tape, through, back front to back. Are you it, sure that's not an episode of Girls? <laughs> I'll let you take that up with her. Um, I've never watched I Girls. I mean that with all the love in the world, Becca. I... But uh, truth be told, the reason why this one was exceptional was because it was half listening party and other part live performance. So some of the artists that were on the tape were actually there performing their pieces. Um, these two guys were there uh, reading, I guess, like erotica that they had written. There was some stand-up comedy of sorts, like humorous storytelling that was going down. The music that was being played uh, was also, some of it was live, if I can recall correctly. And uh, there was that, and then it was also a little bit of playing the tape, but not the whole tape, just playing parts of it. So it was really very nice and interactive, and they were served very good drinks there. I don't know, it was like a really good time. So, you're going to Master Cactus, tape number two, release party, and of course you brought with you the tape recorder. Of course I did. And conducted some field interviews. I did. And I think in a minute we're going to listen to some of them. Can I also point out that I recorded a little bit of the performance too, but it didn't come out right. Uh, that's what I was going to mention. Uh, tell us a little bit about your adventure with this tape and exactly what happened to it. Because when you listen to it, you can't help but notice that it sounds a little crazy. I uh, used the tape recorder to record this awesomeness that was going to be going on at the Master Cactus event. And what proceeded to happen was the tape basically reversed itself. It wound around the head in some way, wherein the tape was bent. and it The tape was twisted, and so when we I know, went to play it back... We don't know exactly how or, or what went wrong mechanically, but when you played it back... When I played it back, it was all in reverse. <laughs> like, Missy Elliotted? Like, in... but, it, but not just in reverse. It, it, this, look, this is something that I've, I've come across with other tapes that, uh, like with uh, your old neighbor, yeah. looking through all these mixtapes that were somebody's. I mean, there was a tape of that nature, too, where it was really muddled, very, very quiet, but in reverse. And so what I did <laughs> was I had to go back it was really confusing. So I went and I actually digitized it, put it in the computer, selected the whole file, reversed it, so I could actually hear what was going on only after recording it onto yeah. my yeah. computer. Uh, Alon put in a heroic effort to restore this tape for our listening pleasure. And it's still pretty rough. I... It's it's rough, but uh, we we did the best. I did the best I could. Uh, Doug was still, very... still worth listening to. Still some interesting things on it. Yeah. We're hoping to post a transcription of some sort uh, as well with the episode. Brave ears, enjoy this best of selection that we've put together for you of the reactions from that Master Cactus event. But, uh, in terms of your introduction to Master Cactus, was it more like that you knew Becca before? Um, I think we all know Becca from before. Yeah. Yeah. So are you? And so you've been involved in uh, in performance in some form or another, uh, be it writing and comedy and storytelling in some form. Would you say that tapes are still a formidable medium to which you can still uh, put your work out there should you choose to? I mean, it's like 
it's fun. But I don't know if everybody would buy it. Fun young thing, I feel like. There's a nostalgia effect to it that makes it fun to do. Yeah. It's like really personal when you make one. Yeah, this is, I mean, how I started like making stuff was making cassette tapes with my friends of weird songs and sure. junior high and then in and then, you know, you get older and you pretend you have, like, a tape label for a while, or I did. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. You know exactly. what I mean? And, like, it's, uh, you can, like, curate it really easily. Like, there's so much art to it, which is really cool. You can duplicate them yourself. So, you, like, just the tactile function. They're like books. They're good objects, you know? So would you say that tapes have a way of continuing a relevance in this day and age where we're sort of hyper-obsessed with the new technologies and that we can sort of keep tape as sort of a viable way of putting your art out there? I mean, I don't know about like viable in like a commercial sense, but like, I mean, just like any sort of format, it has its own strengths and weaknesses. If you're playing with certain things, tape is the best thing. Did you record yourself when you were younger as well? Um, on my computer. Is that right? I never made a tape. Right on. Never made a tape. Cool. Thank you guys so much. Did you enjoy yourself this evening? Oh, I enjoyed myself immensely. Did you contribute anything to the tape? I didn't contribute anything to the tape. I would like to in the future. Are you, what, what kind of art do you work on? Um, uh, most, mostly my art form is working with clothing, so I, I don't normally do anything audio-wise. The medium is just interesting enough and compelling enough that you would want to actually take a stab at it. Yeah, definitely. And I love, I love Becca. I think she's absolutely hilarious. I love everything she does, so I would like I'll try it out, make something. And you recorded uh, yourself, or you recorded like mixtapes when you were younger? I've, yeah, I've definitely made mixtapes. I actually have a this tape of from me and my brother. You know those like old play school? Oh yeah, for sure. That has like yeah. the microphone to it. So I have. I recently rediscovered this, and it's like one of those like clear play school cassette tapes that came with it, and it's like me and my brother from when we're like three and five like saying like dirty words and <laughs> that's the way it starts on a microphone it's really it's really funny actually um so yeah i have i guess it's you know something that i've always done cool here with one of the uh performers uh his name is mike right is it yeah and um i'm just curious if you have like a rich history with tapes you're really interested in the medium of tape still in this day and age? Uh, yeah, no, it, it was so cool to uh, do it just because I think tapes have a certain warmth to them that uh, is something. Tape is something uh, you know just magical about growing up with them. I remember getting the first cassette tape. I remember that being a huge deal. So there's something that's incomparable to getting tapes, making tapes. There's something easier to make for your friends, have them make for you. So sort of growing up, it's just like a warm feeling that brings you back to a time. Would you say that you always? maintain that love of the of the medium of cassette tape, or was it something that definitely came back there was like a renaissance? I, I'd say a renaissance. I, I think that I, I got it caught up in the, the technological tornado when I did have to move all my tapes and albums from apartment to apartment. It became simpler to keep it on a hard drive. Yeah, but then it's still, it's just a, you know, romanticism they have about it, having a hard copy. Having it in my pocket is just that staring at the artwork and having something tangible in your hand. But could you tell me if you uh, spent a lot of time recording yourself when you were younger? Uh, yeah, I, I had the, uh, the talk boy from Home Alone. You yeah, that? yeah, of course. I remember that, and I used to do uh, shows with my brother and sister. We used to, I mean, we used these things constantly, and, uh, it was, you know, unfortunately it was always, we had, like, one tape, so we'd always just kind of re-record over that tape. But, uh, that, that talk boy, I mean, that was our childhood right there. And, and, uh, Who would have known if you had actually had more tapes than just that one tape? I know, it, it seems, and nowadays you don't think, 
I assume you're younger that far ahead, so you're just always like, oh, we're going to record this down, then we'll play it back, and then it kind of exists for that one moment when you play it back, and then it's time to do something else, and do another tape, and do it, do it again, and unfortunately it gets taped over, because I mean, nowadays it'd be beautiful to have them and listen to them, I'd love to. You know, it's unfortunate, but it's, it was a wonderful time that we were able to so simply do it, and hear ourselves, and, uh, and uh, yeah, the whole tape experience is great, just uh, this alone is just with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, you have to, you know, it's not albums, you can't switch tracks, it's the whole product than albums or anything else where they're, you know, such sections off. It's, it's an experience in itself. It's whole. And that's what's really cool about it. And I think we could call the segment Everybody Loves Becca. Indeed. When we were talking about it beforehand, you mentioned that it's increased in popularity and it seems apparent from this tape that's due in no small part to Becca just being a big personality and being gregarious and talking to everyone about this project. And being really positive about it and being able to get people on board. Well, I think that really shows a really nice parallel with any passion project you put into. Podcast, album, you know, a comedy show. Anything that you're doing that's a creative project. As long as you are positive about it and there's some kind of way to integrate and to keep people involved, then people are going to be interested. And her enthusiasm for the whole project is definitely contagious. I am the least audiophile tape heady of the bunch here by far. And when we had her on talking about the first Master Cactus tape, her excitement for sound art and found audio and all that, was and it's, it, it's contagious, I guess is the best way to describe it. You, she makes you want to hear what comes together. The only thing I wish I got more of, and not like I could have, because the tape was running out, should have really spent more of the time recording reactions and not so much recording the performance in vain, as it would turn out. And then only just a few reactions. But, you know, the reactions that I, I got there and that we heard there, I think, were pretty sound. I wouldn't beat yourself up about it. You had no way of knowing that the, uh, that the tape was not gonna, wasn't going to come out. Yeah. There are a lot of t- points that were here uh, made here that I think we all can get on board with. The whole, like, how tapes are a straightforward method of recording. I mean, that's really... I thought that was interesting, too, though, in the, in the last clip when he was talking about... We heard twice they were talking about sort of the tactile nature nature and DIY nature of tapes, that part of what makes tapes interesting is it's this thing that you have that you more or less made yourself. I mean, like burning a CD, you make a playlist in iTunes, you push burn, and it spits sure. it right out. Yeah. At the same time, though, with tapes being easy, I remember making trying to make a, a mixtape, like an actual mixtape on a cassette was super time-consuming, but that was... It was not an easy They're process. An easy, an easy thing to start and a hard thing to finish, yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, that was the other point, too, was there are a lot of individuals who will just they'll always record on the same tape. They won't record on multiple tapes. They'll just use one tape and keep recording on it for, who knows, months, days, a year, never come back to it, and then continue recording on it. Yeah, because or they'll record over it. Because it works right now. Exactly. And, when you're, and it's actually kind of remarkable that you have all these Danziger's own tapes because, like two of the interviewees mentioned when you're a kid and you're making these recordings and you're playing with them either with a cassette player or a talk boy that you're not thinking about long term and going back and listening to these we did a short skit oh hey that was funny we played it for three people now we want to record something else success (laughs) we did it mom and dad laughed now what else can we come up with i feel like there must be a lot of these sketches that have been recorded over in favor of mixtape like you're six years old and you're recording something with your friends, and you, you you record your funny voices, or maybe you do like a play, and then who knows, that individual says when they're 14, 
this is lame. I want to record something off the radio. And they record over the entire thing. So that's probably, I think, something that happens more often than not. You have somebody who... I have a feeling it's a thing that happened in the past a lot, but probably doesn't happen very much at all anymore. But what I'm saying is that when you're looking at a tape through history, it is something that someone sees as disposable enough where you don't need to keep the same content on there and you can just record over it and make a new project from scratch. Pointing out because I feel like that probably was... I think, the antithesis of what I did. <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah, you were working for posterity. I, I recorded and, over tapes a lot, though. I recorded over, like, I actually recorded over a Woodstock Youth Theater tape of songs. I can't believe I'm admitting this. I recorded over a tape of my company that I was a part of when I was acting as a kid, like a compilation of recordings from shows. And I recorded over because I was like, I need a tape. I need to record a Dancing or Zone tape. <laughs> And like we said before, you didn't, you weren't thinking of at the time at all that in twenty years you were going to want to go back and listen to that or bring, dig. I it up. probably should have uh, thought and had that foresight, right? But what eleven-year-old is thinking about what am I going to want to look at in thirty years or listen to in thirty years? Or... Weirdos, that's who. <laughs> exactly. Part of the whole idea of making a tape. It, that last guy, um, Mike, who was talking about how it doesn't have to be about you; it could be something for others. Sure. Um, you know, when you make a mixtape, for example, it seemed that the trend was not to make it for yourself, but to make it for other people. Try and get laid. Or if you're a kid, just like having a girl be actually interested in you, like you try and have her sure. when you're when, they, yeah, when, you know, they're, when they, they're hard or Whatever the 11-year-old equivalent of trying to mack on somebody was. <laughs> I made, yo, whatever it was. Because that's what we said in the 90s. <laughs> There is such a, an interesting story to be told about having like a mixtape that you make for yourself as opposed to somebody else. It's like that was all me because I didn't have anybody who would want to hear my music taste. I was too afraid, so I got like all these mixtapes just collecting dust now from like all the albums that I had. I just like would repeat with every mixtape. These are the slow songs. These are the fast songs. But those could have been easily for somebody else. So what was your point about Mike? These are projects that aren't necessarily for oneself. It could be something that you're actually making for somebody else, as opposed to, like, the Danziger Zone. I know it's beating a dead horse here. The whole point of making a project that is for yourself as opposed to everybody else to listen to. And I think that's one of the cool things about Master Cactus is, is that there's a little something for everybody on that tape, of which is, I think, one of the reasons why I've been so intrigued by that whole medium. The whole concept of audio cassette magazine is something for the people as opposed to sort of just like a selfish passion project. As opposed <laughs> to just by the people. Exactly. At any is rate. Is that a pun? Maybe. I Perhaps. Hope not. People magazine? Oh, no, no, no. That was not a People magazine pun. And Lost and Rewound, uh, for the record, is absolutely, by no stretch of the means, a selfish passion project. Not like an ease justification. We have and we will continue to accept any and all submissions that you bring our way. I think that's a good segue to get take a break and we listen to some of my own shit, right? <laughs> talking about talk, speaking of weirdos. Speaking of weirdos, indeed. If you'd like to know more information about Master Cactus Audio Cassette Magazine, visit the website at mastercactus.com. We'll be right back in a little bit. This is Lost World. Do you have a Danziger Zone of your very own gathering dust in your parents' basement? Well, we'd love to hear your archived audio, no matter how old it is. Email your contributions to lostandrewound at gmail.com. 
It bears repeating. Why the fuck are we here? When I was in middle school, I recorded so much tape. 20 years later, we are here to completely put my 11, 12 year old self on blast. That's the foundation, but it was never meant to necessarily be the end all and be all of where we stand with Lost and Rewound. We're starting to find that there are a ton of people out there who were doing just as what I was doing, and we hope to continue. Being that it is 2015, I would be remiss if we did not include a clip from New Year's Eve 1995, 20 years ago. That's sort of like a nice little, uh, what's the word, kind of a... Time capsule? A time capsule, thank you. ADD. A time capsule, because officially is 20 years ago to the day. Um, so enjoy this time capsule. Three, two, one, happy 1995! Hi, this is Elon! It's 1995! Happy New Year from the Danziger Zone! Welcome to Revenge of the Danziger Zone! And as you hear, it's 1995! Happy New Year! Happy New Year! singing um that song <laughs> oh no I'm thinking about something else but maybe she yeah let's give everybody a hug big hug Happy New Year welcome to Dazzling Dancers Volume 1 oh that's right and to kick things off we got the... Happy New Year Happy New Year Happy New Year Happy New Year oh look at salt and pepper and and is that Bill Bellamy and um, Bob Marley or something? Woo! Happy New Year! Woo! It's 1995 now. And now, Fire Up Star Man, Dazzling Danzigers, Volume 1, Revenge of the Danziger Zone. Yeah. And, and it's just the New Year of the Danziger Zone. And it's a new season. And the same thing kicks, just as I said, kick things off. A new year, 1995. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, man. Fireworks in Florida, confetti in New York. Yeah. You betcha. It's you betcha. Yeah. Dick Clark, New Year's Rockin' Eve, 1995, mm. featuring Hootie and the Blowfish, Steve Harvey, the OJs, and Melissa Etheridge. Salt and pepper. Uh, Salt and pepper! <laughs> and somebody who looked like Bob Marley? I Probably Ziggy Marley. I didn't know anything back then. Such a You knew who Bill Bellamy was. That was important well, for your future. Yeah, so I knew who Bill Bellamy was as just as much as I knew who Daisy Fuentes and Kennedy and Kurt Loder and Serena Outschul and all these... I wonder what Kurt Loder's doing with his life now. I like making lists. Um, he's on an episode <laughs> of Portlandia. That's the only thing he's done recently. Always I'm aware of. <laughs> Confetti in New York. Fireworks in Florida. Um... And yeah, there was a, uh, I don't know. D- 
Dick Clark was still in Dick Clark's Rock and New Year's Eve. And now it's Ryan Seacrest, but yeah. we don't have to go there. Um, the music, I think, is really, I think, the best part about this. The musicians who are there. Uh, the fact that Steve Harvey was... Uh, well, because he was doing Showtime at the Apollo, I think, back then. I think he was hosting it in the mid-90s. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention to Steve Harvey back then. No, uh, I, I just knew him as the host of Showtime at the Apollo, which I only knew about because it came on right after Saturday Night Live. And your parents let you stay up that late? Look, I'm not saying Saturday Night Live was something I watched all the time, but... You know, Often if, enough that you knew what came on after. I didn't really start watching Saturday Night Live until the mid-90s, actually. I'm fairly certain the first Saturday Night Live I watched was hosted by Jim Carrey. And but that then, was the Will Ferrell, Dana Carvey... Um, no, not Adam Dana Sand- Carvey. Was it still Adam Sandler years? It was... You know what it was? It Tail was, end of the Adam They had done a mass exodus of all the comedians, and they just started from scratch, and they had yeah, Sherry right. Terry, um, Anna Gasteyer, and Molly Shannon. They were the only three female comedians, except for, I think, uh, Sarah Silverman, who was there for a season. And then they had Jim Brewer, uh, Goat yeah. Boy, and they had right, a bunch yeah, of... Jim Carrey's meteoric rise came after... Like Mike Myers and Dana Carvey would have left to have yeah, right, done, done Wayne's World and, and whatever yeah, else they were up to in that time period. Thinking through it now, there is sort of a there was two sort of distinct casts of Saturday Night Live in the '90s. There was that early Mike Myers, Adam Sandler era, and then the late '90s, early aughts when you start getting into Will Ferrell and these two circles Jimmy that, you're, that you're drawing with your hands. Uh, the middle is Tim Meadows, <laughs> <laughs> and, and don't forget Daryl Hammond. Speaking of staying up late enough to watch Steve Harvey. Um, how often did you guys get to stay up to midnight, uh, or at what age did you get to start staying up till midnight for New Year's Eve? I'm, I'm trying to remember because 1999 sort of being one of the first ones that I really, that really stuck with me, partially because it was Y2K 1999, nobody knew what was really going to happen. So you wanted to make sure you were awake when the world ended? I, I was just old enough to actually sort of be awake and remember being awake, because <laughs> New Year's is also my birthday too, so like, when I was... Right. Yes, I was probably right. up for midnight when I was six or seven, but we were having a slumber party and not watching TV. Not watching Hootie and the Blowfish. As long as I can remember, I always stayed up for watching the ball drop. How late I stayed up. Past that point, differed from year to year, and as I got older, it was not, you know, wasn't a huge deal. Though I do remember one year, my parents were not there with me for New Year's Eve. I had a babysitter, and I definitely did not watch the ball drop. I think I was nine. I want to say I was, like, nine. I wasn't that old yet, but I do remember that she sent me to bed at, like, 10, 11 p.m. <laughs> and so I didn't actually get to see the ball drop because she had been like, no, I don't care if it's New Year's Eve, go to bed. I more remember it just feeling very late as a kid. I mean, now, staying up until midnight, I don't do it on a regular basis, but oh, it's midnight, it's it's not that late. But being elementary-aged and like midnight being super late, like when your bed... That's the witching hour. Right, like when your bedtime was like 8.30 and then 9 o'clock on a Friday. Well, that, that was always the, the nice thing, is that it, depending on what day of the week, chances are... No, 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 there's no chances. You didn't have school the next day, so it was like the one concession that your parents basically gave other than maybe like uh, Christmas Eve for them them genteels where you were able to stay up later uh, in the night no no Christmas Eve you went to bed early because Santa didn't come until you went to sleep is that 
Really true? Yeah, that's how it works. Oh, okay, never mind. You don't, you don't know Santa? <laughs> I don't. I'm Jewish. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Even uh, about well, super early on Christmas Eve. Couldn't you tell? No, um, but with New Year's Eve, that was a concession day they gave you. Like, fine, I guess you can stay up past yeah. midnight. When I, when I was a kid, I wasn't with my parents on New Year's Eve because they were in their 20s and probably early 30s. So until I was old enough to stay by myself on New Year's Eve, we stayed at my grandmother's house and my parents like left and had fun. Probably started staying up till midnight when I was like four or five. And it was probably just because my grandmother didn't care. And at midnight, we would make Sundays and then go outside and bang pots and pans and like yell Happy New Year. Just because? Yeah. Was it, or was there some family tradition to that? I think that she made it up and then it became a family tradition and just a good old time. Mm-hmm. We have another clip to play here from the bus ride. Um, another the bus... bus ride? These I, become... I, say that, I say that with joy. I feel like the bus ride is a That doesn't of... sound like joy. Another bus ride? Okay. I, when you take the oh bus, boy! When you take like, the bus every day, there's going to be a like, lot. I feel like I was going to say, I feel like the bus ride is a, we could, that could be its own segment on the show at this point. Thinking this is all like the clips that we uh, that I think we've selected are from early 1995, so sixth grade, but second half of sixth grade after getting back from the holiday. This clip is a kid named Ian who is making a very interesting celebrity impression. Oh, that's this. Now it's time for. Celebrity Profiles! Hello, and this is Celebrity Profiles. Today we have Madonna with us. Yes, you do. And we're going to be asking her some questions. Alright, Madonna, what are some of your songs? Well, uh, I've done many songs. Just like Secret. Like Secret and... uh, uh, bedtime stories, and this used to be my playground. Uh, uh, what? And take a bow. Uh, all right, Madonna, that's enough. Can you sing one of your songs? Yes, but I don't want to. I have a sore throat. I was I was just reminded of one of your birthday parties or maybe your bar mitzvah where you had a puppeteer or a ventriloquist come, I yeah. believe, who was conveniently sick and didn't want to get any of the children sick, so he wore a bandana over his mouth. That's suspicious. Steve Charney, if you're ever listening to this, I want to thank you for two very, very memorable birthday parties when I was four and five. <laughs> five and six. Sorry, five and six. So um, remembering your fourth birthday party would actually be a little bit impressive. Um, That's, well, that starts to reach back. True story. Ian was at those uh, birthday parties as well. I uh, went to kindergarten and elementary school with Ian, as well as Brooks. Um, I've known them uh, probably longer than most people. Uh, most people that I schooled with, and he rode my bus because he lived nearby. Um, thoughts <laughs> on Madonna? Well, I thought that Madonna sounded unhealthy, so it adds yeah. up completely. I believe she had a sore throat. It just sounded like it the whole time. You th- said before that you think it, you're pretty sure it's Ian who was doing the impersonation. But I remember the first time we listened to this, it almost sounded like Corinne was doing Madonna. No. Because <laughs> Corinne used to, she did some moves. That, that, past guest, Corinne. Past guest. Frequent character in the she'll Dancing be, Zone. She'll be back. The Madonna voice was also 
in attempting to sort of get the sort of sexy, raspy, boudoir-era sex Madonna, um, it almost sounds sort of like the desperate housewife, raspy, sort of like kitten voice. And also kind of like, it's Pat. (laughs) Yeah. There was a time where Madonna was on the brink of being all Kabbalah. This was sort of like transitioning out of the sex book era into more of the Evita Madonna, right? Yeah. That's sort of where we are? Well, her album Bedtime Stories... Does that put us right in the thick of Dick Tracy era Madonna? I thought Dick Tracy was before the sex book. Here's something I learned recently, and I didn't and know And corresponding this. documentary HBO backstage special Some, movie. Someone forgot to tell me that Vanilla Ice and Madonna were an item in the early 90s. Madonna's one of those ones, kind of like Marilyn Monroe, that dated everybody. But here's the thing, though. Vanilla was, Ice and Jose Canseco. Vanilla Ice was featured in the sex book that Madonna did, which is why they broke up, because he got freaked out. He was like, no, I didn't get a sign for this. This was, That was weird. Don't do that impression no, of that Vanilla Ice. That does not sound like Vanilla Ice. <laughs> oh, well, I Vanilla Ice be all like, you know, kind of all sort of, sort of rap voice, but I don't know. No, he's a show on HGTV <laughs> no. now, which is kind of amazing. The... And what we've learned now is that no one on the Danziger Zone was good at impressions. <laughs> Nobody. The, but again, Not a like, single. Exactly. The Bedtime Stories era Madonna, though, as pointed out, was very much sort of a, an in-between phases that was not the only clip of Ian doing a Madonna impression. That was one of his more famous ones. You know, it's funny because uh, you know Ian and uh, a number of other kids who would uh, appear on the bus and subsequently on the tapes were very much they, on their fallback would do these celebrity impressions. I was never about that, but I feel like that was why I was so lucky to be surrounded by so many kids who felt like they wanted to do that because it just sort of gives you the idea of what kids think when they think of celebrities. There's a Steven Tyler impression somewhere in the mix. Brooks does he's like, oh, I'm Steven Tyler. Like, yeah! And they just like, sing. And well, they that just... one seems pretty accurate. <laughs> but that was also to the fallback as a kid whenever you tried to do an impersonation and you could only kind of half get the vocal inflection so you just start saying their name. Or just singing a song. Right, or something instantly recognizable. Incidentally, Ian himself was the one who famously asked, "What are you gonna do with these tapes when you're older? Like, are you gonna are you gonna sell them like now? Like, you can't like the Danziger Zone. No one's gonna pay to listen to the Danziger Zone. Like, just sort of a nice, interesting foreshadowing. And this next clip that we're about to hear, I think, is sort of within that same wheelhouse, if you will. Where I hate that word, I really do. <laughs> but it, it, but it's true. It is kind of like in that same kind of ilk of what can be done with the Danziger Zone at all, if anything. Let's find out. You're listening to it. Yeah, right? We did something. Something. You know, I remember the first time I, I gave you the introduction to the Danziger Zone. Yeah. It wasn't even the Danziger Zone. It was. It was like um, the original. Loser Kabloom or something like that. It was Teen, teen Win Loser Cabral, and then I, then I formed it into the Danziger Zone. Remember, remember that? You formed it into something else, and then you formed it into the Zone. Remember, Danziger Zone. No, no, it was the, um... Hi, I'm Elon Sterling. Welcome to the Danziger Zone. Like that. Yeah, remember he did, look at this family. It's boring! Originally, it was the Elon Zone. Booga, 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 booga. No, it wasn't. It was. And we're at the lunch table, and I was like, this is the Elon Zone. Booga, 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 booga. That's their made-up thing from Danziger Zone. Yeah, but the, da- the Danziger Zone might be a famous thing. Ha-ha! 
Very fine, Brooks. I don't know, maybe a day, maybe one day it might. You never know. Booga, 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 booga. <laughs> very funny, Brooks. Twilight Zone, I guess, very much would be the inspiration for the name. I didn't watch much Twilight Zone as a kid because I think it kind of freaked me out when I was younger. Well, it was also too art in like Nick at Night esque reruns. It wasn't a show that you just like was on TV in the afternoon. You would sort of pop up, not necessarily on PBS, but the less frequented TV channels. Was it New Year's Eve or was it Halloween that they did the Twilight Zone marathon? Probably Halloween. That would make more sense. No, for sure. I, I, I would concede to that. I just clearly was never, uh, as I said, something that I watched as a kid. But you love the theme song and the name. And the graphics. Like, I remember when I was creating this and, like, I would draw spirals. I remember in 7th or 8th grade, I would sign my name as an E with spirals. So I would, like, spiral the E and make it, like, a, a zone E. A zone Somebody was saying about something about a tape label. One of the people from the reaction was saying about the tape label from the Master Cactus, and I had my own recording. This is Zony Recordings Incorporated. Like, <laughs> I was going to make my own production company out of this thing. So, yeah, you, know, you never know what will happen to the Danziger Zone. It may be big, or you can just laugh it off. In the vein of what you're going to do with the Danziger Zone, what are we going to do with Lost and Rewound Season 2? What is there to not do? I mean, the fact... <laughs> Let's be zen about it, Alon. Let's be super zen. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna dive a little bit deeper into the Danziger Zone. Stories at the essence, the pure essence of what we're doing here is storytelling, and uh, I am not a great storyteller. I am merely a audiophile nerd who uh, collected fifty tapes from his childhood. That, in and of itself, I think is a story <laughs> to be told, uh, but sure. not one that I can necessarily tell that easily as an adult. I think also, too, that we're sort of delving more into the time-capsuled nature of the audio archaeology. Yes, Lost Moran is a podcast, but it's also, to sound like Keanu Reeves, a state of mind. Like, I mean, or, Whoa, dude. Or, <laughs> Whoa. Or, an, or a, a movement. We've talked about this extensively as a group offline. In our downtime while we are figuring out what's happening next, that there's a million and one nostalgia 90s-themed BuzzFeed thought catalog lists out there about, yeah. remember the 90s, man? And so while a lot of our content does, and source material does come from the 90s because that was our childhood, we're not necessarily a 90s nostalgia podcast. I mean, this is, we're really at the essence revisiting the past and time capsule and time going back. Yeah, so we want to expand out from our origin, which is the mid-90s, into any time period. Audio from anywhere and anybody that has an interesting story to tell through audio from a former time. Or also, too, even other formats. We do have a website. If you've got a video, we'll post your video. We can... Absolutely. You've got art, short stories, I mean, whatever. Yeah. That box in your parents' attic. Drawings of Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> That's what's in the box in my parents' attic. I, I, <laughs> I, I actually took a, a task to scrounge for old journals from days of video game creation. Oh, I didn't even think of that. I bet I have some MS... Word docs somewhere uh, where I came up with Mortal Kombat 4 before there was a Mortal Kombat 4. Somewhere in the mix, I've got Mega Man 100. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know where it is. Wonderful. Mega Man 100 with Fire Extinguisher Man, Swiss Cheese Man, Gun Man, Stool Man, 
Apple name. We always invented the best superheroes as kids. Like, when you're a kid and you're trying to think of a superhero, like, anything is a power. I had a Titus Adventure video game, and, like, I just had Buster Bunny going across the page with a whip. And, like, the boss was in some random little, like, pod room at the very end of the page. So on one page, he'd start, and at the end, it'd be, like, um, Go-Go or Montana Max at the other end. This was the NES game? I guess it was an NES game, yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. But I made these designs before that. So I thought, oh man, I could have contributed these ideas, but I didn't make it in time. And but Nintendo wasn't listening to it. No, 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 yeah, no, and they will never, ever, uh, oh, actually, maybe they'd be interested in it. Probably not. Never, actually. Never. <laughs> no, yeah, probably not. N- never, ever. Nintendo um, as a corporation doesn't even know you exist. So. At all. We're more than happy to take a listen to what you have, or if you have anything more of the visual variety, um, then by all means. It has fallen upon you, the listener, to go on your own private uh, project hunt and see if you could find stuff that you did when you were a kid that you think would pertain to what we are looking for here. Or we will find your you. own Jurassic Park archaeological dig into your parents' attic. <laughs> Or basement, or dirty, dirty, to dirty see closet storage unit to see what metaphorical mosquito blood you can draw from the amber of the of the attic. <laughs> Is that you trying to sing the Jurassic Park theme song? Keep going. I'm going to just do, do it in the, in the background. You're going to keep doing it in the background. Uh, I think also too, as we one of the lessons we learned from yeah, season one as we're digging through all your fun stuff you're going to send us, is for season two, trying to maybe be a little more thematic. On a production note, we are recording every week from now on, and hopefully releasing every Thursday from now on. We'll have short episodes every Thursday, and on what we believe to be the third Thursday of the month, we'll be releasing the long episodes. So this should make the show a little bit more easy to keep up with, and... Hopefully a little bit more digestible to listen to 15 minutes at a time. And then listen to the long episode if you really want to. Yeah, I I, I don't blame you for not wanting to listen to me for more than 15 minutes at a time. You can only take so much. (laughs) You can only take me listening to me so much, so I totally get it. Too sad. Too sad! (laughs) That is the plan for Season 2 of Lost and Rewound in 2015. Be happy, Alarm. Be happy. That is the plan. Don't worry. Be happy. See you next time. And thank you for listening. Lost and Rewound. Lost and Rewound is hosted by Alon Danziger, Melissa Lloyd, and Doug Johnson. Engineered by Ryan Reich. We're available online at lostandrewound.com.